right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sali here. Got a great interview with you with Sahith Tagala. Learned how to pronounce that also, which we talk about on the back half of this episode. Wanted to do this after the waste management when he made his epic run that event, but we uh, kind of slipped away from us for a couple months, but we got it done, and we talked a lot about that uh, that week, why it was so special to him, and uh, went into it in pretty great detail. Great interview. Very easy to root for this kid uh, after listening to this one, I would have to say. No Laying Up is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf, the official rangefinder of NLU. We're actually out here at Bannon right now with a couple of the founders, and they're seeing a lot of Precision Pro rangefinders on a lot of people's bags, which is awesome to see. We really appreciate everyone's support. Precision Pro wants you to get your season started the right way by improving how you manage your way around the course. For us, that is Precision Pro is essential to the pre-shot routine. It's surprising to see the difference in the distance you're guessing you are away from what the uh, your rangefinder actually shoots. So measuring the exact distance to flags, hazards, or layup spots is an easy way to save strokes each round. Precision Pro Golf wants to make sure that improving your game is the only thing on your mind. They've got industry-leading customer service and lifetime battery replacements. You know that Precision Pro always has your back. So this golf season, take the next steps and upgrade your pre-shot routine by adding Precision Pro to your bag. Head to your local Dick's Sporting Goods or Golf Galaxy to see the rangefinders or go to precisionprogolf.com and save $20 with code NOLAYINGUP. All one word. Again, code NOLAYINGUP to save $20 at precisionprogolf.com. Dial in your distances and take stress out of your game with Precision Pro Golf. Let's get to Sahit Tagala. So we're sitting here in April now. Does waste management feel like about a year ago now? Does it feel like last week? Does it feel like two months ago? What does it feel like? Man, it honestly feels like it just happened still. Like everything's moved so quickly recently that I don't even know what day it is sometimes. Like even yesterday we're out at dinner and having dinner with Bo and and, uh, his caddy Dave and my caddy Carl. And I was like, I had no idea what day it was. They were like, oh, it's a Tuesday night. I was like, oh, okay, great. But yeah, it, it feels like times move really fast and literally feel like it just happened, even though it was what? I don't even know. How, was it two months ago now? Over over two months ago now. We're sitting here recording this. We're recording this Wednesday before uh, Zurich Tees Off is going to come out next week. But what has life been like uh, you know, for you since then? I think it felt like a very um, quick adaptation from golf fans into your invest, a quick investment into your success in that week and i'm just wondering what the last few months have been like since then yeah it's it's been so cool like I'd, I'd never thought that i'd be in a situation like i am right now like obviously blessed on the golf side to have my card this year and all that but also just like the overwhelming support of all the fans like it it's incredible how many people come up to me at every event and they're like dude your story is so great like thanks for being an inspiration thanks for being an easy dude to root for and i'm like man thanks guys like i i'm honestly just playing golf and, and I'm uh, it was more a testament to how my parents raised me and and the job they did but it, it's been really cool and again it's happened so fast and uh, I was just talking to my brother I've been home at my house at my parents house in LA I've been there seven days in 2022 and it's almost we're almost done with April so just been on the road the whole time is that where you live then full-time yeah so I was going to move out. I was talking to my parents about moving out right after graduating college, which I did in May 2020. Um, but obviously, it was mid-pandemic, and it was it was a whole mess. So, uh, and I love LA, so I would never 
was really in a rush to get out. So yeah, I'm still living there till I guess officially last week. Uh, I moved in with a couple buddies in the Woodlands, Texas, but I'm still gonna stay in LA um, as much as I can. I I love being near my family and my friends, and my whole team is over there too. So, um, but yeah, I guess officially I've moved to 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 the Woodlands as of ten days ago. So if you've been on the road that much, you know, you haven't been in, you haven't played every single week, you know, on tour since waste management, right? So what do you, what do you do? What do you, where are you on the road on, in an off week? So the first week um, was Sony and we haven't done a family vacation in, I don't even know, seven years or something like that. We do a good job of going on, uh, on trips for Thanksgiving, but just driving to national parks and stuff, but like a real vacation we didn't do. So we went to Maui the week before. Um, so we pretty much started the new year. We had two days of the new year at home and then started the new year in Maui pretty much. So, and then I was going to play four in a row on the West coast, but luckily I got a sponsor invite to waste and then Riv. So that was six weeks in a row. I had an off week after Riv, but I only spent two or three days of it at home. I went down to San Diego and played some golf with some buddies. And then that was the week of the Honda. So I took that week off and then I ended up going to Florida a couple of days early. So I was only home for three days there. And then I had five weeks in a row again. It was kind of unplanned. But you, you're not in a spot right now where you're turning down tournaments, right? Because, you know, are, I guess, are there events you're still are still struggling to get into or kind of for listeners sake, what, what, uh, what what's the status of how you're making your schedule out as you go along? Yeah, so that, that's been the tricky thing. Like, I, I didn't know if I was going to be in tournaments like Bay Hill or Players. I just got actually Bay Hill. I was in by a little bit, but Players, I just got in, which is freaking awesome. So yeah, even like RBC Heritage, I was just a couple in and then I'm still waiting on like PGA Colonial Memorial. I think I'm like right on the border for Colonial Memorial. Um, I need a good good week this week to get into PGA. So I still don't really know my my schedule for the rest of the year, which is which is kind of ironic in a way. But um, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure about what I'm going to be getting into. So I'm not 100% sure where my off weeks are going to are going to lay. Well, let's go back. You know, I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about waste management a bit for for the listeners' sake. Kind of your your background, right, and and your rise up uh, through through your am, through the amateur ranks and into professional golf. I know it's always hard to hard to summarize that story, but where does that story start for you? And, and kind of uh, t- you know, for listeners' sake, take us to a bit of your background. Yeah, my dad. Both my parents are both from India. They came over in their mid twenties or so. My dad was the first person from his family to to come from India to the States. So I have him to thank for, for everything, obviously. And obviously sports wasn't, you know, it's not a huge part of Indian culture. It was always academics first, but my dad always had this fascination with sports that I think even some of the, some family members didn't quite understand, but I'm very thankful for it. So pretty early on, he, he picked up, he, he did his master's degree at Kansas state, played all kinds of sports there loved watching sports. So that's how I got into it. He, he loved watching sports on TV. So I'd just sit on the couch and watch golf, basketball, football, everything with him. So I played a little bit of everything growing up. But again, like I, I wasn't so sure how seriously I would take all this. Like I was, I was really good at basketball and golf growing up, but uh, I didn't really put in a ton of work in both of them. I kind of focused on my studies and, and that kind of thing. But I started playing really well again kind of late high school uh, when I was getting recruited by colleges and I still wasn't like a top recruit like 
you know, I couldn't have gone to like UT or, or Stanford or schools like that. But luckily Pepperdine was, was uh, lucky enough to offer me and just seemed like a perfect fit for me. So, and, and then that's kind of where the story really starts for me golf wise. I think like I had a, I had a solid junior career, but I knew I needed to make all kinds of progress in college to get to the next level. And obviously it was a pipe dream for me to, to play professional golf, but we really weren't sure about the, the actual feasibility of me doing it. Um, obviously me and my father dreamt big and, and coach Beard and, and Armin and Carl and Blaine all saw all my assistant coaches saw the potential I had, but I think every golfer goes through that phase of, am I really good enough to do this? Like, is this real life? Like, come on, snap out of it kind of thing. But I just made a, a great progression in college and I have my team to thank for that. And also a little bit myself, I kind of had a renewed, I don't know what the word would be, but I, I started working a lot harder on my game. I started practicing better, started building better habits off the golf course, started to kind of enjoy life a little bit more and kind of see that golf, you know, golf didn't make me, golf wasn't my life, you know? And I think having that perspective through college really helped me get a lot better. And so another big thing that happened um, before turning pro is I, I was dealing with wrist injuries my, my whole college career pretty much. And I never could really figure out what it was. We always thought it was just tendonitis. And it, I, I always felt like it held, held me back a little bit. And historically, I've, I've always been a cutter of the ball, steep and left. So a lot of impact was on my left wrist. But anyway, it ended up boiling over too much my junior year. And it got to the point where I literally could not grip a golf club. Couldn't grip a golf club without pain. Couldn't, couldn't shampoo my hair with my left hand. Couldn't open a door with my left hand. It was really bad. So I was like, okay, I should probably stop taking cortisone shots and really get it checked out. Is it ulnar side? Is it yeah. this side? I'm, yep, yeah, right here. I, I have the probably the exact same thing. It's so – when it's bad, it oh. is so painful. You can't buckle your seatbelt. No, you literally can't. You cannot run your hand through your hair. Can't no. buckle your seatbelt. Yeah, no, you hit it around the head. Is it harder with shorter club? Like that's the thing for me. Like putting is I'd have to almost putt one-handed when it's bad. Like the shorter yeah. the club, the worse the angle. Yep, that's the same thing. Yeah, so I was going to get into it. Like I literally went from putting conventional to cross-handed because I couldn't – I literally couldn't make that slight bend in my wrist. And anyway, I went into the doctor, got an MRI arthrogram, all kinds of testing, and my wrist was leg legitimately just blown up. Had a torn TFCC needed a debridement in my joint it was all kinds of tissue stuff in there and my tendon was popping in and out Sublux subluxation was a term i think and my tendon sheath was gone i mean just totally torn up and i was like oh okay that makes a lot of sense why i can't do anything so made a tough decision to to redshirt that next year just because the, the recovery from surgery was going to take so long but anyway long, long story short like that really was a big turning point for me in, in that perspective and being like, Hey, I just, I had to step away from golf for 10 months. It was a thing I've done my whole life. I think I've put so much time and effort into all of a sudden it was kind of taken away from me, but I realized like how many great people I had behind me and, and all that stuff. So that really helped me when I got back into playing golf and along with some work with my coach, Rick Hunter, um, shallowed out my, my swing a ton. So I didn't put that pressure on my wrist and, I went from hitting only cuts to hitting majority draws down with my irons. So that was a big change in, in how I saw shots and stuff. But 
but the last two years post-surgery is um, the best golf I've played in my life. And it's been a really steady increase. And it's just been really cool to be. It's funny. I like, I, I'm along for the ride in my own golf, which is, which is funny. It's like, I'm kind of seeing it from a spectator viewpoint too. It's like, sometimes I'm like, am I really playing like this good? This is wild. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I think that's what makes it appealing, man. I, there was something yeah. about the waste management in particular, just a lot of the things you said and your style of play. It, it, it it's I go back and forth on this, right? Because I knew I was going to have to drag this out of you. You won the Haskins, the Ben Hogan, and the Nicholas Award. You were the fifth person ever to win all three awards in the same year. So you came with a, a, an enormous amateur pedigree into the professional world. Yet at the same time, I feel like I'm watching somebody that is along for the ride, right? You wear your emotions on your sleeve. The way you played it, it you know, you got out to the lead at Waste Management, and like it felt like that Saturday was the most exhausting round of golf possible. You were in the desert the whole day. Oh my it's gosh. Loud, like, I, I, I don't know if you wear a whoop, like what was your whoop straight at the end of that yeah. day? If there were, it... <laughs> yeah. So I, I wear a whoop and I've always, I always get really nervous tournament rounds. doesn't matter what tournament doesn't matter what day my heart rate just gets pumping. So like a normal round of 18 holes of golf for me, like is between 12 and 13 strength, like pretty normal. And it seems like a lot of golfers are pretty similar, if not even more, 14 for a casual round of golf. But tournament golf for me is usually between 16 and 18. And my heart rate is just so jacked up. It's like my heart rate's like averaging 120, 125. Wild. But Saturday at Waste Management, 20.7 strain. With hitting, <laughs> with hitting the normal amount of balls I do, didn't do any extra practice, no extra workout, nothing like that. 20.7 and then Sunday it was 20.5. I mean, it was absurd how it was the most two of the most stressful rounds of golf uh, I've played. But that's just like that's I would imagine that's just the the elevated competition is just raising your heart rate for that like sustained period of time, and uh, it, it, it's it's kind of hard. It's like that's where I, I struggle with it. I'm trying to get grasp the understanding of of where fatigue comes from in golf, right? Because like I can walk 18 holes and be totally fine and not be fatigued. Yet if it's competition. It's a whole different drain. And then like to like I'm still we're talking on a Wednesday. I, we got back in the country on Saturday from Scotland. Like I honestly am still catching up on sleep. And like how you guys roll that week to week is like when you're talking about being on the road every week. Grant, I'm 35. You're young. But like it, it's got to be like a, a, I, I struggle to describe fatigue in golf. I'm wondering if you can kind of help me with that. No, you hit it. You hit it spot on right there. It's like, you know, while we're, I feel like. I can speak for a lot of players like while we're on the golf course, there's just a little bit of adrenaline, a little bit of extra focus that you put in where the fatigue you don't really feel. Um, so like on the golf course, I think it's, it's all good for, for most of the guys out here. It's, it's mostly off the golf course. It's like, uh, you know, getting up in the morning, going through a little workout, stuff like that. You just don't want to do cause you're tired. And then for me personally, like obviously it's allergy season now and, allergies have been pretty bad but like the instant i'm done i put in on 18 my allergies kick in and it ha and i have to attribute it to like i lose you know once i'm once i've stopped focusing once the adrenaline starts wearing off kicks in immediately and that's usually how it is for the fatigue part with me too i'll be sitting down at dinner on a saturday and i'll be like man like i don't know what happened like all of a sudden i'm just so tired i think a lot of guys have their own way to kind of deal with it and for me um, obviously my rookie year and still learning every step of the way, but like I've been taking Mondays so easy because in the fall I was like, 
dude, this is like freaking awesome. I get the best golf course to practice on. I can, I can do whatever I want on Mondays. Now I'm like a straight zombie on Mondays, get a little workout in, relax as much as possible, let the body recover, you know, go get some work done on my back and, and all the little stuff. So it, it, it is tiring. And, but like, every time I think about that, I talk to my caddy Carl, it's like, it's a pretty good problem to have, right? Like, it's pretty, it's a pretty good problem to have. That makes a lot of sense of like, gosh, I, I could be out at blah, blah, blah course playing right now, but I'm just sitting at home hanging out. But like, you do have to manage that. That's yes, something that, you know, for sure. It, it, for someone that's on the up and up like you are and hasn't gone through all these experiences yet, I'm sure it's a tough, tough. I hear from uh, people that play the Masters the first time are like 18 Monday, 18 Tuesday, 18. And you're like, why did I do that looking back at it? But you're like, I could go play Augusta right now. Yeah. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach and official fitness wearable of the PGA and LPGA Tours. You can monitor your sleep, training, recovery, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback from Whoop. I got to say, I'm not appreciating the messages I'm getting out here at Bandon saying you're overstraining yourself and not getting enough sleep. Maybe have a few less drinks. Your recovery is going to be better. I understand that, uh, but it is super helpful to kind of help you track what your body is doing and understand the decisions you're making every single day are affecting how your body is recovering and why you maybe have a day where you can't move very well. There's probably a very good reason. Whoop helps you with that. The all-new Whoop 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with biometric tracking, skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. It's got a new smart alarm designed to wake you up and feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. And right now, the all-new waterproof device is free when you sign up for a Whoop 4.0 membership. For any new members, if you have six months left of membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. And right now, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use code NLU15 at checkout. Go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, enter code NLU15 at checkout to save 15%. Let's get back to Sala Tagala. Going back, so the, the waste management was not your first time in contention for, uh, you know, not not as many people are watching golf, I know, in the fall, but you had a, you were in great position at the Sanderson uh, on the back nine. It looked like your tournament to lose. What, what did you learn from that situation? What was that disappointment like? And did it feel different being in contention of a tour event versus other golf you've played? So like leading up into that, it was pretty wild. Like the, the year before I got, I was lucky enough to get five starts on tour plus uh, qualified for the US Open and then some starts on Corn Ferry. I actually Monday qualified into three of them, but it was like the best golf I've played. And, and I felt like I was playing my best golf throughout that whole year. And I was like finishing like 30th, like a couple top 25s on Corn Ferry. I had a good finish at Memorial, came in like 30th, but like, you know, nothing great. Like anyone looking at it is like, oh, it's just playing, you know, whatever average golf. But for me, it was like, wow, I'm playing really well. And then it all clicked Corn Ferry Finals. Um, those two weeks, those last two weeks of Corn Ferry Finals, it was probably the best two events I've ever played in my life. Um, and I came in fourth and sixth there. And I, as far as I even still looking back at it, those are the best two, four rounds of golf I've played in my life, I think, considering the situation all that. So the first couple events of the fall series, I was just keeping that momentum from those Corn Ferry finals. And I was just striping. It was the best I ever hit the ball at Napa and, and Sanderson. And similar to Waste, like, I don't even know what happened. I, I shot eight under the first day at Sanderson. It's like, whoa, I'm leading in a PGA Tour event. This is sick. And uh, it's it just, yeah, it's just, I literally played, in my opinion, flawless golf for 63 holes at Sanderson. 
And I don't know what it was, but walking, I made a great par save on nine, the final round on Sunday at Sanderson. And I don't know what it was. Maybe I just didn't take a, you know, just take an extra moment to kind of refocus and, and let myself just keep playing golf. I, I, I felt my, myself getting a little bit nervous and obviously seeing a leaderboard behind nine, I had the lead on a back nine on a Sunday on tour where six weeks ago I had zero status. I don't know. I just hit two five yard pushes with seven irons back to back and hit it in the green sub bunker on 10 and hit it on the bank of the water on 11 and kicked in. And all of a sudden I'm three back. And it's like, man, that happened quick. But, you know, looking back on that, it, it was a great week. And I got paired with uh, Cam Tringali on Sunday, which made it really great. He and his caddy or my caddy was staying with Cam's caddy. And he, he also caddied for Cam for four years, I think. But we had dinner every night, and it was, it was pretty cool that we got paired up on Sunday. But looking back on it, I, I was like, I was so close, even with, like, ridiculous mistakes on the back on Sunday. I mean, I, other than those two holes I bogeyed, I think I had one bogey before that for the tournament. I bogeyed those two holes, and then I three-putted from, like, 12 feet on 13. And at that point, I didn't think much of it. I'm like, oh. I've already lost my opportunity to win, like, whatever. Like, just try and run the tables coming in. But then I realized, like, how big of a difference it is from finishing. I finished eighth versus finishing third or fourth if I was a shot better. And I don't know, just just the whole experience. Like, I, I learned that, obviously, you're not in that many positions to win at the highest level. And when you're in a position, like, got to go for the win when I felt like I did go for the win there um but also learning that you know I can't just be throwing away shots like I, I missed like a three footer on 11 because I was pissed I didn't chip it in for birdie and <clears throat> and just stuff like that but yeah looking back at it it was like it was a little bit of both because I was like I played so well that I don't know it, it's not like a sustainable thing to to hit it that well and and stuff like that but at the same time it's like dude this was my second pga tour event ever as a rookie with my card and i was leading after 54 holes i was leading every step of the way and that gave me so much confidence going forward and the the second time obviously at waste i felt way way better prepared for the for sunday and i think it showed like i i didn't i honestly played way better at sanderson versus i did at waste which was which is also pretty cool to look back and reflect on but I was just able to manage it so much better at waste. Like I, I honestly didn't get everything out of, out of my game at Sanderson and I still had the lead. So, you know, what's funny is like, I, I still haven't watched the coverage from, uh, from the final round at Sanderson. I haven't watched any shots, but yeah, I, I, I just, I reflected on it, but I, I really didn't want to dwell on it too much because, cause it hurt. Like I was getting so many congratulatory messages and I was like very thankful obviously, but, and I, I was hurting that whole plane ride Sunday night to Vegas and honestly maybe let it affect me a little bit in Vegas too. And I, I missed the cut there, but it was definitely a bag of mixed emotions because I'm such a, I'm like a closet competitive guy. I don't really show my competitiveness per se, but very competitive guy. And it, it, it hurt for a while and it still hurts to talk about now. So it's seven months after. 
But it felt like, kind of why I want to start with that is it felt like a great learning experience, one, because what you, you didn't have perfect stuff on the weekend at waste, but it felt like every time you gave a shot or two back, it was kind of like, ah, okay, that's the end for, that's, you know, that's the Tagalog story this week. No, bang, birdie on blah, 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 birdie on blah, blah, blah. You just kept coming back. And if it felt like, as someone that I think I had a, t- a bet on you to win Sanderson, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with it, too. I haven't watched the highlights either. But, uh, uh, you know, it felt like it was, like, almost immediate in terms of what you learned from that situation and how to play nervous. Because you're also talking about two – I can't imagine two more polar opposite playing experiences than, like, a fall event at Sanderson and one of the gra- the greatest cauldron of – activity around you in waste management so all the more reason to be more nervous at waste but it di- I didn't feel like I was watching a nervous golfer that weekend yeah that's funny you mentioned that because I the final round at Sanderson there was a good crew out there but I could still count how many people were out there following that final <laughs> round and it was a great atmosphere and the people in Jackson were awesome but there's you know probably three four five hundred people there versus I don't even know Phoenix the final day I mean I everywhere you look there's people right and people in different positions too they're standing up on the ground sitting i um, used to doubt those attendance numbers they would share and i went one time and i was like i will never doubt that again like it is a it's a festival it is unbelievable it was absolutely incredible and and funny enough it was like i remember a couple times where like i was in the desert on the right on 11 and i was like there's so many people around my golf ball and i was like man, I better like, I better like hit a good one here or else I'm just going to let all these people down. <laughs> and that's a thought like I would never have obviously, right. Without the people there. And sure enough, I like pulled off this crazy shot that was a little suspicious, but it's almost like the people egged me on and <laughs> I actually still have a video of that. Some, someone sent me a video of that over Instagram. It's like one of my favorite videos ever. I'll, I'll have to show you, but it was so insane. Like I, there's so many holes where I'm like talking over yards with my caddy and we're straight up yelling at each other. We're two feet away, <laughs> straight up yelling so that we hear each other correctly. But yeah, I mean, I obviously, I love the atmosphere. I mean, we, when do, when do golfers ever get to compete in an atmosphere like that? Tell the story of, uh, of lifting your driver up when you're in the desert. Um, uh... Yeah. <laughs> so that was on Saturday um, on 11. I hit it. 60 yards right of the fairway i was actually lucky that it was just in the flat of the desert and not in a bush and i was so far right that i could hook it around the trees to get it on the on back and playing back on the or on the green hook it around the trees instead of going left and down the fairway and there were so many people and, and unfortunately i was like in, in a little low area so it was going to be really hard to get a distance and it's going to be hard for carl to see where i was but I was looking over club choices and Carl's like, Hey, I'm gonna go get a yardage. Just stick your driver up so I can see you. And, and when he said that, I was like, Oh man, people are going to think I'm, I'm taking driver on hitting this thing. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people. It was wild, but I reached for the head cover and there's a couple dudes standing next to me. He's like, he's hitting driver. He's hitting driver before I even pulled it out. So sure enough, I pull it out and I like, for some reason, I, I don't know. It's just a moment. I, I like looked around at everyone. I took like a full look around and then stuck the driver up. I didn't it's not like I just stuck the driver up. So I think I think that got them going a little bit more. I stuck the driver up. But I can't see Carl, right? I can't see Carl at all. 
So I'm like, I have no idea if he's seen the driver or not. So I held it up for like 10, 15 seconds. Then I put it down and like tried to like jump and look at where Carl was and I still didn't see him. So, so I stuck the driver up again and the cheers were even louder this time. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Is it easy to like, easy is not the word, but is it, uh, what's it like competing in that atmosphere, right? Because there's, I think there's a certain noise level that if it gets to above a certain level, you're not distracted by the noise anymore. Is that accurate? A hundred percent. Yeah. It was, it, it's because it's so constant, right? Like, yeah, it's just like a constant buzz. The whole front nine, because you hear it from a distance on the front nine, the whole front nine, you have like a buzz in your ears and it's almost fine. Like you just go ahead and hit. And then the back nine, it's like, you kind of wait for like the lull in the cheers, but it's, there's people are still cheering, right? Kind of wait for the lull in the noise. And that's kind of what I had to do it on 11 in the desert there. Cause people aren't going to stop. Like they're drinking, having a good time, like watching you hit these crazy shots. And it was funny on that hole. Like I hit a shot, I hit the shot. It was over like a little blind hill of desert. And I hit it and instinctively just started running after this ball. And like people are, are going crazy, right? And they're running after me. And Carl was just had the bag on trying to sprint through these people. I'm sure he knocked over a couple of people with the bag. But but yeah, the noise is it was insane because like Riv is my is my hometown event, LA. And a lot of people came out to support me there and it was pretty loud, but like not even one hundredth of the noise that was at, at Phoenix that the week before. You had some interesting comments after that round Saturday in terms of, you know, kind of flashing back again to, to what you're saying about kind of pinching yourself moments of yeah. you know, the question was playing with Xander and Brooks today. Did it feel like you belonged? And, and you, you kind of relayed like you still can't believe you're out there with it, which when we're watching on TV, we don't we don't feel that right. It, I mean, it's obvious to us that you belong at that point. But what what are you kind of going through in that regard? Yeah, I. You know, I, I still am not 100% there yet, for sure. Like, last week, uh, I was hitting balls at RBC, trying to figure out some stuff, and DJ comes up and hits one spot in front of me, and, like, I couldn't help myself. I just, like, stood there and watched him hit balls for two or three minutes, and I, I was like, man, this is pretty cool, just getting to watch DJ warm up and hit balls. And this is like it's not, like, the first time I've seen him, too. It's probably the third or fourth time I've seen him this year, and, still really cool and to, to see these guys that I've, I've grew up idolizing grew up watching on tv and and all that stuff so still not 100 percent over it i'm definitely more comfortable on guys like you know, guys like sander and and scotty and sam burns those guys like those guys are, have been really good to me and i'm getting there but i still like i, I still like mentally can't put my myself up there with them and obviously i have a long way to go like just getting started and and you know, that was waste was was my closest, was my only top, whatever seven finish. So still got a long way to go on that in the results part of it too. But we're getting there, definitely getting there. It was funny the last couple of week or last week I saw Jay Haas, who who's been incredible to me, and he's talked to me a few times, and I and I met him through Pepperdine and Coach Beard and and my agency and Bill Haas, but. He's gone out. He went out of his way last week to you know come say some encouraging words to me and talked about Phoenix for a minute. And he was like, "Dude, you got it." Like I've seen a lot of young guys, and I can see the passion and how much you hated losing that week. And and even something like that means means so much to me. And 
And like I walked over to Carl after him, like, dude, Jay Haas just like guy's a legend. And he just like talked to me for five, ten minutes going out of his way. So we're still getting there for sure. So, uh, it might not be for a while, honestly, but we're definitely trending in the in the right direction. That's refreshing, though. Uh, you know, I feel like at, at times we watch it, it can feel like we're watching robots out there, you know, and, and to kind of hear that kind of uh, appreciation for it. So after that exhausting day Saturday, you know, you're all over the place, managed a good score, but you gave a lot of credit to your caddy, Carl, uh, on that day. What, what, what kind of impact did he have on you and, and why did that day kind of stick out as far as, you know, him, him earning his pay, if you will? Yeah. I mean, to this day in our short time working together, I think 17 events this year, that's definitely the day he's, I mean, he's been awesome all year, but like that day he, he saved me so, so big. I got off to a really rough start. I made double on, you know, one of the easiest holes on the course on hole two. And then the next hole actually hit two great shots, but I landed on the front fringe and ended up three putting for par. And I was so dejected, but I just remember standing on 4T, like Carl just saying, like, man, how, how cool is this? Like final group, you know, on a Saturday with all these people cheering you on, like, let's just have fun, man. And he does a great job, I think, of riding that line between you know, just going out there and, and being an athlete and being a kid and enjoying it versus like when it comes time to focus and really dial it in, he's, he's as dialed in and focused in as it gets. So I was hitting it everywhere that day and it was in the desert a lot. And, you know, he, he was telling people to, to move and I, stuff that I'm not, I'm not good at at all yet, but I mean, he was, he probably walked 20 miles that day trying to get distances for me and, <laughs> and just the whole time, like, Obviously, he could tell that I was nervous and everything was kind of moving fast for me. So he kind of had it all dialed to, to slow me down, you know, gave me food and reminded me to drink water. It, all the little stuff, right, that I'm not really thinking about because I'm just so wrapped up in the golf. And He's a Sherpa, you know? I mean, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. doing more than just you know, yeah. giving advice on clubs and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, one of the best parts of our relationship, I think, is like, we don't really talk golf at all on the golf course. I'm not, I think a lot of caddy players are that way, but like walking from like tee box to the fairway or fairway to the green, we're always talking about something else, whether it's other sports, basketball, what we're doing, what, what are, you know, how's your girlfriend talking about girls, whatever it is. Right. So I think just kind of keeping that normalcy, even in a situation like that was, was really big. So how well do you sleep on Saturday night? You're in the final group. You're shaking your head for the podcast listeners out there. You're shaking your head very quickly. You're going to be paired up with Brooks and Scotty Scheffler. What, uh, what's Saturday night like? You know, funny enough, Friday night, I actually slept great. Cause I've never, uh, I slept great Saturday night and I, did, I slept great Saturday night or sorry, Friday night going to Saturday at Sanderson too. Cause I was like, Oh, two more days. Right. But at Sanderson Saturday night, eating was fine. I ate great Saturday ate great Sunday morning, but couldn't sleep. Slept in like 20, 30 minute increments. Probably got a total of three hours of sleep that day before Sanderson. And then waste management, I, you know, I tried to be better about it. I was staying at a house with, um, with some buddies and stuff. So I thought it would be more relaxed. No, same thing. Even though I knew, even though I was a little bit more at peace with my situation at waste, I still probably got three hours of sleep. And that's, and that's with staying in bed for 11 hours. I mean, I literally Jeez. could not sleep. So I, I'll probably have to figure something out for next time I'm in that situation. But yeah, got no sleep. Couldn't even do a workout. I was just, I, and, and the Sunday at waste, I couldn't eat either. I couldn't eat breakfast. 
So I was hitting balls on the range. I think someone took a picture, but I was hitting balls on the range and my trainer, Josh, was with me. And all of a sudden, I got like the shakes, the straight up shakes, because I didn't eat anything. It's like Josh ran to player dining, just grabbed a giant plate of like croissants, danishes, fruit, and brought it to the range. And like 30 minutes before my tea time, just scarfing fruit and desserts. It was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I, I really struggled to do normal stuff kind of funny looking back on it no that makes total sense it makes way more sense than just being able to sit there and handle all that so I don't know if this is the point where we fast forward to uh you know you come off birdie on 15 you make a par on 16 and you you stand up on 17 you're tied for the lead what you you kind of have the ball in your hands kind of Michael Jordan style of you're dictating how this tournament's going to end Describe all the considerations that go into, you know, the situation you're in there and the shot you're about to hit on 17. My, just kind of some backstory in my whole life, I really, I've really struggled with long clubs. Like I've never been a great long arm player, never been a good wood. And my drivers historically always been my worst club. But we've made a ton of progress in that, but I still haven't gotten to the point where I'm comfortable with woods. So I just carry a strong three iron and a hybrid. And I've done that for a long time now, pretty much all through college. And my hybrid has a nickname of Frank. It's, it's just a Frankenstein hybrid. So it's a 17 degree hybrid turned down to a 16. This thing is wild. You set it down. It's a pretty small hybrid head. It looks like it has zero loft, but it's just what I've been using for four years or five years, four years now. Yeah. Um, something that Ping, Kenton kind of, Frankenstein up for me so it was just a perfect Frank because that bunker short of the green was not in play with Frank I carry it 275 and that bunker is like 260 so as long as I don't hit it bottom groove neck it's over the bunker and this club this has no chance of going long even if it hits on the down slope if it hits on the down slope it's gonna be perfect distance it's gonna be pin high but there was no there was no real other discussion of laying up because I thought the wedge shot would be tricky to that back pin. And obviously, with that middle right pin, we're just trying to hit it right at it, because even if I pulled it, we thought it would be fine, because I, I can't, I literally never hit a draw with this club, ever. So it's always going to be having cut spin landing. So we're like, okay, there's there's no way, like, it's either going to be just right of the green in that collection area, which would be an easy chip, or it's going to be perfect. We literally had no other... No other discussion. Maybe we're like, okay, if it lands, if I stripe it and it lands past the downslope, it's going to land into the upslope kind of where Brooks's did and just stay in the upslope to short of the green. Another easy pitch. And I hit it, and I don't know what it was. I haven't even looked at the numbers of the shot, actually. But I, it was, I mean, it was so striped right out the middle of the face, and it started right where I was looking. It started at the right edge of the water, and I usually hit like a 15 to 20-yard cut with this thing. And I hit it, and I'm like, I've just hit the best shot of my life. I was like, <laughs> I've just done so it. So good. I was like, I've done it. I don't know who said it, but someone was like, great swing. Someone on the tee right after I hit it was great swing because I think we were so used to seeing that ball curve a lot more. But this ball, like, for some reason, didn't curve as much as it usually does. It probably curved about 10 yards. But I was still, I, not once in my mind was like, oh, I was like, Stay right, stay right. No, I wasn't thinking that at all. I was like, I just hope it's the right distance. The last like 15 yards of the, the ball flight, like it wasn't really cutting that much. It was still cutting a little bit, but, uh, and that's when I was like, 
I should probably look at this to see like what kind of bounce it takes. And it, and I see it land and my heart just drops. I mean, it kicked mm -hmm. 35 degrees left and screaming forward. I was like, at that point, I knew it was in the water. Like, I know it probably looked clo I, close on TV, but I was like, that's, it just falls off over there. And I was like, yeah, probably has no chance. And my heart just sunk. And I, and I was immediately really angry because I was like, just hit it anywhere outright. Like, Scotty kind of hit, he hit the, he hit a smart shot. He, he kind of, I could tell he missed it a little bit, but he hit it right where he needed to hit it. And obviously that looking back at it, I was like, is that one where I should have like really tried to hit it right and just trust my short game. But it just seemed everything was aligned really perfectly and definitely got some good bounces Saturday and Sunday there. And yeah, I never really thought twice about it, but I, I've looked at that bounce so many times. I have it on slow-mo on my phone. Like, I just, we just, I just can't understand how it was cutting as much as it was. And even though it was like a little knob on that, on that middle left side of that fairway. So obviously if it lands on the left side of it, it's, it's not going to kick right at all. But like the fact that it was cutting and kicked that far left and forward, it still like kind of blows my mind. I was just like, wow. Um, it also, for me though, it was, you know, you at some point are going to have to hit the shot that wins the tournament, right? Yeah. It's, if you bail right, that up and down was not super easy, right? And, and that's, you know, if you're kind of taking, you know, I can make an easy par from the right side, of course, but maybe make birdie. But you have to take it on at some point, right? If you go par par, you're in the playoff with Scheffler and Cantlay and like you're going to have to go hit the shot in the playoff, right? So at some point you have to do it. And that's what it felt like you made made the decision there. Like, I'm going to hit the shot right now. And it's got to be like so – I don't know how you wrap your head around the, you know, it not working out because I feel, it felt like you hit the shot. I know you feel like you hit the shot. And it's just a true test of, uh, of you know, how you, hit, how you handle the rub of the green going forward because it, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I know you kind of talked about – too, after you dropped it, you know, you felt like you, maybe you were rushing a little bit just because you're worried about that ball rolling back in the bank, uh, off the bank. And, and uh, I don't know if there was any learning lessons from that. For sure. I mean, like, yeah, I haven't really talked about it much after, but kind of an underlying thing for me was like 18 is a really tough tee shot for me because I hit a pretty big cut. And if I don't hit it perfect, I'm not going to carry the water on the left. Um, I don't have the carry that Scotty and Brooks have. And I was like, it's going to be tough to hit that fairway, like kind of an underlying thing. Obviously, we're not saying this on 17T, right? But it's going to be a tough hole for me to birdie. And sure enough, I hit on the right rough and didn't really have a chance at birdie. But yeah, the, the drop on 17 was so sketchy because the where the red line was, was drawn, like the whole area that we're dropping on is on a, I don't know, 8% slope. And I, and I really should have... Obviously now I, I should have looked at the shot and done my routine before I dropped and placed the ball. But like everything was moving so fast and I ended up just, I called over rules official because the ball wouldn't stay. So we took a minute to find where the ball would stay and the ball stayed. And Carl was like, oh man, like this, like any gust of wind is knocking this ball in the water. I mean, any gust because the bank is too steep. So I rushed my process. I was like, dude, I'm I'm not going to lose a golf tournament on this. And and Carl turns over to Rolls Fisher. He's like, so you're telling me if this ball rolls in the water right now, we lose the golf tournament. And the Rolls Fisher is just standing there nodding his head. So yeah, I probably spent 10 seconds on the shot. 
and it's a very basic chip shot and hit a terrible chip. Not only did I hit a terrible chip, I hit it in the worst spot for the putt. I hit it 10 feet by, left myself a downhill left rider. And it's a chip that I probably go through my whole process. I mean, I'm not saying I would have done it, but it's a chip that I feel very confident hitting within five feet pretty much every time. But yeah, it, I mean, all of it is, I'm just chalked it up to an insane learning experience. What, uh, you know, what, what's, what happens afterward? You know, I mean, your, your emotion was very clear, you know, what, did you know you had, you had a ton of family there? Did you know they were all there? When did they get there? Did that kind of double down on your emotions and all the things you're feeling after that round? Yeah, it's just, it all hit me at once. Like I, I think I, I was looking at some texts after and my college buddies were texting me like, dude, I've never seen you cry like ever. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty emotional guy, I'd say, but for some reason, I've just never really, I don't know, had a reason to cry, I guess, for, for a while, but it had nothing to do with the golf part. It just like kind of, I saw my, my mom and dad and I think getting that hug from my mom really did it in for me, but, hmm. but yeah, it was just kind of going back to the thing that it's just crazy that so many people have my back and hopefully they feel like I have their back too. But yeah, it was just to see all my family and friends out there supporting me. And my brother actually flew in just for the day from New Jersey. I saw him on eight T box and that kind of like gave me a little spark uh, during the middle of Sunday's round, but yeah, it just kind of all hit me. Um, I still don't even know if I have a, a true reason for it, but I guess I don't need to give a reason for it. Right. Just kind of motions took over and, I mean, you look at those strain numbers, that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, if you're exhausted, like it's uh, the more tired I am, the ease, like, you know, you could show me a sappy scene from the office and I'll start crying. Like it, it, uh, it, 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 it all made sense. And as a golf fan, I think I said something about this on Twitter too. It was just like, man, that was refreshing. Like to, to see that from a competitor. And I, I felt like it was endearing and it felt like, Man, whatever I just the hours I just spent watching this golf tournament were really worth it. You know, I was I was personally pulling for you, and uh, that's part of the that's part of the, like golf and sports in general is like it's not always going to work out great. And um, I don't know, I don't know. I was invested in it. I it felt like the fans were too. I, I know there were chants of your name and stuff in sixteen and stuff. I mean, it, it felt like felt like you recognized that there was a a, a, a groundswell of support. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I literally can't describe what that week meant to me in terms of the support I got. And even looking back at it now, like after Scotty's win at, the, at Augusta, what he said about, you know, maybe not talking to his wife, Meredith, about like, maybe, like, am I ready for this, for this kind of, for this to happen to me? Like, am I ready for this? And looking back at it, I feel like it was kind of similar for me in that position as it was for Scotty. It's like, like, I don't know if I'm ready for this kind of thing, but. But anyway, it was really cool to see Scotty kind of be vulnerable there and obviously go on this historic freaking tear that he's on, which is so cool to see. Because he's, I mean, I, I'm not close with the guy or anything, but he's been awesome to me and we've played golf for a long time. But to see him do what he's doing is really special. And he's the nice, he's one of the nicest dudes ever. Yeah. I didn't even think about the butterfly effect. If, if your ball doesn't hit that hit that slope and kick left. I wonder if all of this happens for Scotty. Hey, I mean, it makes it. I've been telling people I'm, I'll, I'll happily take some credit for this. I'll happily, <laughs> I'm, I made the sacrifice to, to see, you know, a historic stretch of golf. I'm, uh, I'm all for it. Is the emotion any different from waste management to Sanderson based on the fact that, you know, you had those two seven irons that got away from you um, at Sanderson. And this is, it felt like you hit the shot. Does it change your, uh, what you were able to take away from it? 
For sure. I feel like I, like I said, handled it really well, waste, um, especially that double bogey early on Saturday. I mean, I feel like I could have definitely just disappeared there. I played some of my best golf in that six, seven hole stretch after hole two um, to get it back. And, and I, I didn't really go through that adversity at Sanderson. So it was even better for me to do that waste where it was more heightened effect too. Cause at Sanderson, it was, it was more relaxed and the golf course was definitely a little bit easier. I think Sam ended up shooting 22 under maybe to win. So it's definitely more scorable and you could get away with some stuff. Whereas waste, it was just the golf course itself isn't, isn't very hard, but it's just the conditions were so good and firm that kind of bad shots got magnified. So even, even something as little as that to, to say that I got through that was, was definitely progress. I mean, definitely progress from the first time and hopefully I'm there, you know, soon to, to put it to the test again. That's why I feel like I I recognize uh, I've, I've played in enough tournaments to know that there's just a different gear you have to get yourself into. The second you're defensive, you're toast, right? And the second you're on the, like the, the the difference in being on the offensive, is, it's obvious to sit here and say that, but like actually channeling that is what I think is this internal battle that you guys are going through at all times, and that's what it felt like for me watching it. From from def- you went from the defensive to being on the offensive in that situation. I'm curious for if you sure. feel the same way. Yeah, get oh, you, that's another great point that you make. Like, I think it's really easy to see these scores. They're like, oh my god, another eighteen under, twenty under wins. But like, I don't think people realize how insane of a golf insane this guy golfed his ball to shoot 18 20 under and you can't do that playing defensively there's certain shots during certain rounds that you just kind of have to hit the shot if you're going to win i think a great cliche kind of statement is being aggressive at a conservative target and you have to be aggressive at so many conservative targets throughout the week to to put yourself in a position not just to win but even to put yourself in a position to have a good week and yeah no that's that's a great point the moment you start playing defensive is it's toast. Even even if it's for a cut, like trying to make a cut, you start playing defensive towards the cut. Toast. And that's yeah. And you have to take on a certain amount of risk too, because it's like you you want to you know what's the point of going around a golf course and bailing out everywhere, right? Because the guy that wins it is going to hit it right there instead of in this very safe spot. So how often do you want to take that on? Is the shot really there? Do I need to play more conservative because my shot's not there? Going through that when you're feeling different on every single day, you get the shakes on Sunday. You don't get any sleep, like. It's uh, 72 holes, man, is, uh, is a thorough, thorough uh, examination. Tell me about hitting shanks on purpose at the range. Yeah, so, there, <laughs> so there's not too much about it. It started in high school with my high school teammates. It was, you know, I could tell that some of these guys, they're all pretty good golfers, but like some of them were nervous about just the stage and, you know, playing for a team for the first time and all that, so... It was kind of a way of, to ease the tension for my teammates and for myself, actually. But I would get to the high school, whatever tournament we were playing, and just had some tops and shanks just to kind of loosen the atmosphere, right? Just to make it clear, I had no intentions of throwing other people off. Like, I'm not trying to get in other people's heads or anything. But it was literally just to ease the tension. And I would just joke around saying, like, hey, we're getting all the bad shots out of the way. And actually, my favorite is not the stuff on the range, but it's the stuff on the putting greens. Like, we did a, I mean, this is so stupid looking back at it, but we'd do like, <laughs> we'd do like three foot drills and we'd make it look like super serious, right? So we'd like line it up, hit putts, like the whole team standing there and try and lip out 
as many times as possible. <laughs> and I think my teammate Dean Sakata has the record with 11. I'll have to double check, but he lipped out 11 times in a row on the same he made, oh, 12 putted. But it's just stuff like that. I, I love it because it just eases the tension. That seems like a good drill, actually. <laughs> kind of. I mean, it's how... harder to lip out a putt than make a right. putt. So, yeah, I, I just kind of carried over into college at the start of college. And I don't know if you've heard of the the John Rom. That's what I wanted degree, to ask but, about. Yeah. But I'll tell it. It was my second college tournament ever. Um, like I said, I get really nervous before tournaments. And I wasn't the best player going to college. So I was the five guy. I actually missed my first event of the year. Um, but I was the five guy. Like, super nervous, big event, a lot of good teams. And typical college golf, we have one stall for five guys trying to warm up, and there's 20 teams there on a small range. And we happen to get the very left side of the range. So, like, picture the range is like a small semicircle, like the middle of the range, the guy's hitting furthest back, the ends are the furthest up. So we're on the very left side. So I have a perfect vantage point of, like, the whole other side of the range. And John Rahm is hitting two guys to the right of me. But anyway, I, I get up there and did my kind of routine. And I hit the best shank of my life um, with a 54 degree. This thing literally went as close to a right, right angle off the club face as possible. It was just like 85 degrees off right. <laughs> and the ball rolls just in front of the guy at the very end of the range on the right. And I was trying to play it off like it was serious, right? Like, oh, my God, just shake it. Like, I'm screwed, guys. Like, I'm screwed. And I was, like, trying to be serious. And sure enough, my teammates, like, look and see who's looking over. And half the range is looking over to see who hit the shot. And one of them was John Rahm. And hopefully at some point, I don't even know if he knows about it or anything. But hopefully at some point I can talk to him about it and see if, if he remembers if you, that. But that, that was you pretty got sick. That's that a special, cool. again, a special talent. But uh, what uh, it, for people that aren't as familiar with your game, what do you need to improve on to you know to be at the level you want to be at? If you can snap your fingers and I need to be better at this right now, what is it? Historically, for me, I've I've been a not a great ball striker. My short game has saved my ass my my whole life pretty much. I've always gained strokes on the greens and my chippings. I, I love practicing short game, so my chipping's always been a strong point. But the last couple of years, I've hit it so much better and. It's funny. We're jo I've been joking with Carl and, and even Bo and Dave. Like I was looking at my stats after last week because I had a couple, I had a couple good weeks, but tough Sundays and kind of messes with the stats a little bit. And my stats are horrible this year. Like I think my best stat in the overview is like 80th in the strokes gained approach. Like all my stats are between 80th and 130. But obviously, I, I feel like I'm playing well. They're all like 0 0.02 or whatever. I've never looked, been huge at looking at stats and stuff, but I was joking around that, dude, I suck at everything. <laughs> Just getting lucky. But obviously joking, but I think uh, a big key for me is just keeping my driver and my long stuff in the fairway. Um, I've had all my best tournaments where I've driven it well, and I think there's a heightened importance on that too, um, out on tour versus mini tours in, in college, even Corn Ferry. I feel like I was able to get away with kind of spraying and praying. But uh, luckily, I've always been long enough, long levers and stuff. And so distance has never been that big of an I'm not, I'm not by any means like a bomber, but cruising like 74 to 76 ball speed and 
hit it far enough. So the big thing is just to try and get it in the fairway. And I've definitely been making some strides in, in that part of my game. So I'm feeling good moving forward. It's just a matter of you, you just never know when you're going to get hot in this game and just looking for the, for everything to kind of click. I mean, yeah, your stats are astonishing into how close to zero you are in strokes yeah. gained and everything, which is like, it's wild. For, I mean, if you're going to sit here and tell yourself like, I'm still getting there in terms of, you know, do I belong out here and things like that? Like you're quite literally tour average in almost everything. I think that's one really validating thing. And it's, it's also volatility is great in pro golf, right? If you have, if you have the capability for really strong peak weeks that, uh, and your baseline is, you know, quite literally right at average of doing everything well. Uh, I feel like that's a good place to, to start from, from your, you know, your rookie year out on tour. So that- uh, I agree. And, and one of the funny things is my putting, which like everyone who knows me and has played with me, they're like, that's the best part of my game. And I think statistically, it's actually strokes gain is the worst part of my game this year. And, and like you said, I, I just chalk it up to, there was a couple of events that I missed the cut at where it was like freak weeks, like Bay Hill. I've never played on greens like that. I couldn't even put my putter on the green. It was so slidey. I think I lost like nine shots in two rounds on the greens. So it was weeks like that that definitely hurt the hurt the stats. But yeah, it's just funny looking at them. It's like literally my best stat is 80, but my worst stat's like, well, I don't know. It was, it was funny looking at it. Yeah, you can get lost in the sauce a little bit there, but it's also – it's it's got to be you know you can kind of come home from certain weeks and be like dude that that those greens were not great for me maybe that's not a course I'll have on my rotation blah 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 and kind of kind of throw them out as well so last well actually last question I, I read this uh, in your transcript and it is not does not work when you read it uh, out loud because it's literally a phonetic thing Sahith or Sahith because I've heard it either way so actually neither oh god it's it's Sahith Sahith. Okay. Yeah. They don't say that on TV. The first one was close. I know they don't. And I've said it so many times, but it's okay. I'm honestly, like the whole name thing, it it, it was my fault because early on, I I would say Sahith, but nobody could get it. They would just say Sahith. So to save trouble. And for me, I'm like, I'm done dealing with that. I was like, yeah, I'm Sahith. So I introduced myself as that till I was like in high school. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I should probably try and fix it. Like it hasn't caught on that that well. Oh, but I don't it, feel as good. bad if you're saying that. Then I don't feel nearly as bad for. Oh, it's hundred percent. My yeah. I, my <laughs> parents were like, "What are you saying?" Yeah, Sahith, you got Sahith. it. Sahith. All right, now we got it. Now the golf fans have it. So, are we gonna let you go, man? I, I, I'm. I, it's gonna be awkward if we release this next week and you and Bo go out and win this week. And I didn't ask you about it, but I got a sneaky <laughs> feeling about you guys this week. So have hey, a, we got we got some good vibes for sure. We had some good vibes. I, I feel really good about this week. Bo, Bo's the man, and we've both been on the upswing. So, I love it. I love it. Well, best of luck this week. Thanks a ton for. Uh, glad we finally made this happen. I know we wanted to do this right after a waste, but I know that you had a lot had a had a lot going on. You're a very busy guy. So, uh, thanks for making the time, and we'll definitely do it sometime in the future. Thanks, Sol, for sure. Bet. Love to be back on. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!